Well, hello there, and welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards with the Pure and Simple Bible podcast from pureandsimplebible.com. And I'm thankful, one, to be feeling better. I was sick last week big time. And two, I'm thankful that you are here with me again to have a great conversation about something in the Bible. Specifically today, Justin Owen is back with me, a good friend and gospel preacher from the Oklahoma City area, to talk about murmuring. And you'd be amazed at what we can learn from the Old Testament, specifically some of the accounts of the children of Israel as they wandered in the desert and how it relates to us in the 21st century concerning murmuring. So with those thoughts in mind, let's jump into a great Bible discussion, shall we? Uh, okay, well, I am back with Justin Owen, having him join me by Zencaster today. He's in Oklahoma City, and I'm in Dallas, Texas. Thankful, brother, for your uh, ability to join me and to talk about murmuring. So thanks for coming on the podcast again. Thank you for having me. I am excited to talk about murmuring, which is the, the study that we're going to look at today. And we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, a few verses there. And so for those who are listening, if you'd like to follow along, I'm going to read verse 8 through 12. It says, We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, when I read that uh, scripture and I see the title of murmuring, I feel like I'm going to be having my toes stepped on a lot. And if you're listening to this and feel the same, then I want to encourage you that let the Holy Spirit do the stepping. It's not Justin and I, but if the word is convicting, then let it convict. So with that in mind, um, you have an anecdote about a monk in a monastery, and I was wondering if you'd like to share it with us. Oh, absolutely. And before I do, let me just say, every time I give this sermon, I tell people I love giving this sermon, first of all, because after I'm finished, nobody really complains about it. <laughs> but second, uh, I love giving it because it's a good reminder because we all get into this habit. We, we fall back into complaining and it's, it steps on my own toes as I study it, as I read it, uh, as I deliver it. So thank you again for the opportunity. And yeah, I'll, I'll tell you about this little joke that I tell usually when I give this sermon. There was a monk that joined the monastery and he took a vow of silence as he did so. And after the first 10 years, his superior called him in and he said, well, do you have anything to say? The monk thought for a minute, and he said, uh, food, bad. <laughs> after another 10 years, he was sent back to his post, and after another 10 years, the monk again had an opportunity to voice his thoughts. He, he brought him in, he said, do you have anything to say? The monk said, bed, hard. <laughs> another 10 years went by. He was called in again before his superior, and he asked him again, do you have anything to say? And his response was, I quit. <laughs> now, the supervisor, the superior uh, monk, uh, just stood there and looked at him and said, you know, that doesn't surprise me a bit. You've done nothing but complain ever since you got here. <laughs> you know, over the course of 30 years, the six words that this guy said were all 
you know, negative complaints. Yeah. And the question that's begged today is that the impression that we give to people? Mm. You know, there's, cer- there's certain areas that we go, there's certain places that we frequent that sometimes we don't like going to those places, we don't like visiting those areas. And our attitude it would kind of suggest it when we get there. And we sometimes we don't even realize we're given a negative impression uh-huh. to people just uh-huh. because there's certain areas that we're always in the same mood in when we get there. Right, right. I remember uh, there used to be a route that I used to travel. I used to deliver pipe for a company called Costco in the Bay Area. And uh, there was a certain route that I had to go when I, when I knew that this site was on my delivery list that I just dreaded it. I mean, traffic was awful. The supervisor was always nasty and bossy. And I didn't really like going to that foreman because he was just foul and it was not a great place to go. So every time I showed up, I'd show up and uh, I wouldn't have the best disposition. Mm. And I thought about that, you know, as I was going through this study that those people probably thought pretty poorly of me. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, just because by the time I got there and by the time I had to deal with that guy, it was like, oh, uh, I, I'm right there in the shoes of this monk, you know, <laughs> <laughs> being somebody who constantly complains, even though I saw that guy maybe once a week. Yeah. They, they knew me that way. They thought of me that way. Well, so, I can I can relate to that. And, uh, you know, am I known by people whenever I walk in the door? I was like, oh, brothers, John, it's Jonathan again. Am I known like that or is it, oh, you know, Thank goodness, Jonathan's here. How are you known? And a murmurer or a complainer uh, typically is known as that. And uh, so I think this could be helpful for people to to maybe self reflect. Now, this sermon also is it's special to you, right? It's this is more than than just a, a sermon that you wrote up one day. Yes, uh, you know. I don't know how many people will listen to this that know me, but my grandfather was a preacher. Uh, his name was Selby Ellen. And at some point in time, he preached a version of this in his preaching career because I, I found his outline as I was going through some of his old notes. And uh, I, I adapted it, made it my own, made my own comments along the way. But when I read over the bones of his lesson, I thought, man, this is great. Too often <laughs> in the world, you know, we find ourselves in need of hearing this and, I just thought I, I have to use this. And I love being able to share that this was originally my grandpa's thoughts and his message. And I thought I, I thought the way that he put it together was fantastic. So Excellent. Excellent. Well, let's uh, consider those those introductory verses from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 8 through 12. I don't know where 4 came from. But there is uh, some examples there. Uh, about the children of Israel, specifically in verse 10, that they wouldn't murmur or grumble, and that whenever they did, they weren't supposed to, rather, and when they did, uh, then they received some pretty bad consequences. Maybe we could spend some time uh, looking at their example on what to do and what not to do. Um, How can we maybe uh, use them as this example, brother? Well, the children of Israel and their wandering, I think they, they complained, they complained, they complained. And when they did that, they, they gave us different areas and different avenues to think about you know, how they complained. And maybe in the way that they complained, uh, we can reflect on our own life and think, well, do we do the same thing today? Mm. Uh, and that's kind of the idea behind these thoughts today. Uh, first of all, uh, you know, when you look at their example that they set, they, 
They complained about the way that they went. Mm, okay. In this first section, when we're talking about them complaining of the way, I, I can read a sure. few verses. I, I think we can probably just skip okay. a few if we need to. Uh, Numbers 10 is where we can start. Numbers 10, verse 33. The Bible says, So they departed from the mountain of the Lord on a journey of three days. And the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them for the three days' journey to search out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was above them by day when they went out from the camp. So it was said, whenever the ark set out, that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. And I know we have a chapter break there, but we don't have chapter breaks in the original writing. Right, right. And, and there's a, right there in verse 1 of chapter 11, it says, Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it. And his anger was aroused, so the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Mm. Uh, one of the things that they had been complaining about was this journey, the journey that they went. And it was described to us, you know, how all of that manifested itself. It wasn't just Moses saying, well, I think we'll go east today. <laughs> it, you know, <laughs> this, this miraculous cloud would lift into the sky, and that was their sign. Okay, it's time to pack up. Yeah. And this this fiery cloud, whatever it was, would lead them through the desert. And Moses, of course, was kind of following that path. He knew what to do. So as their leader, uh, the people looked at that and said, oh, uh, well, Moses, I guess, is directing us. And uh, they didn't like the way that they were being directed. Mm. Uh, and that, that begs the question. They complained about the way they were consumed. Do we complain about the way ourselves? Right. I think some, some things in our, our Christian lives are pretty difficult. Like, you know, uh, for instance, the Bible tells us to love your enemies. Well, I don't really want to love my enemies. Uh -huh. I, <laughs> I don't really want to pray for my, enemy, for my enemies. I, I would rather, you know, say bad things about them and think negative thoughts about them. So we sometimes understand that we're supposed to do what the Bible says and we, we get ourselves through it. But here's the question. Do we complain on the uh -huh. way? Uh -huh. And I don't think we'd be any different than the Israelites. Think about, you know, if you were standing in their shoes, how things would go. The journey from Sinai to the promised land. Do you know about how long that would take? Uh, offhand, no. Yeah, I, I mean, just reasoning it out with that many people and their herds and everything, a few weeks. But right. how long do we have before they reach Sinai? And how long do we have before they got to the land for the first time? There is just this abundance of time, and they were literally walking in circles. If yeah. I I had a group of people here in Edmond, I said, "Okay, we're going to walk to we're going to walk to Texas. We're going to walk to Johnson's house." And I gathered everybody together and said, "Okay, uh, let's get out to the freeway." We get out to the freeway, and I turned north. How many people would be silent <laughs> about that? <laughs> not not very many. Not very many. They they I mean I might try Only to the directionally challenge. <laughs> Right. I might try to settle their nerves even and say, hey, guys, it's okay. I know what I'm doing. You know, God has told me exactly the way I'm supposed to go. And I, yeah. I might turn east and then come back and start going south. And people might be like, okay, here we go. Now we're going the right way, finally. But then I turn north again. And we, we forget that Moses, yeah, Moses was leading the people. But it was... God's leadership that was really prevailing. It wasn't Moses's plan or his idea. And I think we need to be careful about our attitude towards 
uh, towards his word. I'm thinking about Jesus even told us the way was going to be difficult in Matthew 7. Um, so we shouldn't have an expectation that it's just going to be paved. In fact, if we are on a paved route, we probably should be concerned about the direction that we're headed. Yeah. But the way that Christ has uh, explained for the Christian is going to be narrow and difficult, and the Bible says few will find it. So I think about the, their murmuring and complaining, and I think about ours, and uh, it reminds me that it should be expected that it's going to be a challenge, and so I shouldn't complain along the way. What, what else do you see in numbers about these people who are murmuring or complaining? Well, just a few verses after the passage we read down there in verse 4 through 6 of, excuse me, down there in verse 4 through 6 of chapter 11, uh, it says, Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Just stop for a moment and put yourself in the shoes of these people. Uh, yeah. They were remembering how They're hangry they, they were hangry. Exactly. They remembered how good they had it in Egypt. And have we ever been in those shoes ourselves? I mean, I know I have, I, I have friends that are able to attend, you know, nicer restaurants uh, on a somewhat regular basis. Uh-huh. And I think, Oh man, Right. Uh, I, n- I never get to go have steak. I'd love to have steak, you know, two, two or three <laughs> times a week. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but, you know, I, I go to McDonald's and I go to Taco Bell and there's people in the world that would look at me and say, hey, I'd love to get to go to Taco Bell. All I get is ramen, you know, every single night. So <laughs> it's it's a perspective that, you know, we can we can be a complaining people. And when we think about them complaining of the food again would we complain about the food if we were in their shoes they ate the same thing morning noon and night on a regular basis for months upon months at this point in time and i mean they shouldn't have complained because this food was a miraculous food and and god actually he he gave them this food with these stipulations, I think to remind them that it was miraculous to begin with. Right. Why else would he, I mean, you had the Sabbath stuff, but why couldn't he have made it, you know, last longer than just one day? Mm-hmm. I, I think God could have done that, but he had these rules in place that the food would, the manna would grow worms and stink if they yeah. kept it for more than one day. But then on, uh, on Fridays when they went out and gathered that food on Friday, the Friday manna, they could keep for an extra day. Yeah. Why do you do that? You, know, what, you start thinking about these questions and they're, they're wonderful to like ponder and let your mind wander down. But I think one of the reasons is to help these people understand this food was not just any old food. It was miraculous. It was God's provision mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. And that really, it should have solidified in their mind that this was something special, not something to be cast off to the side and, and to desire the, the old, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the scripture in, uh, numbers 11 verse five. And I always chuckle whenever I read it because they're, they're murmuring about, Oh, the cucumbers and melons and leeks. And I think, (laughs) uh, this is the same generation that was crying out to God for deliverance in slavery in Egypt. 
who are now murmuring about going back so that they can have some cucumbers. And it's like, <laughs> what's the cost of a cucumber? It's it's chains, you know, uh, maybe metaphorical chains, but it's it's slavery. And yet you want the cucumbers. And man, what a great connection to sin, right? Like no you've kidding. been delivered from sin. You've been put in God's kingdom. Uh, he provides everything you need. And what do you care about? You care about cucumbers. Well, and you're, must you have been can't something even about see those... you're in... Sorry. There must have been something about those Egyptian cucumbers, you know. <laughs> yes. Obviously, they had a, a better quality cucumber than one I'm familiar with. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't mean to disrupt your thought. <laughs> no, man. I, I'm just wondering. I'm I'm all over the place. Sin. You're, you're making a relation to sin. I shouldn't have gotten in front of you there. Sorry. No, no. Not at all. I, that was going to be my thought. It was just it's it's... You know, they're murmuring about food when uh, really they're just wanting to go, they're craving sin. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, bondage, and that's that's kind of the point, right? They they look back to that former life and they long for it instead of wanting to go forward and, and become free. And a lot of times, I think, as we examine this story, one thing that's important to draw out, and this is, I think, an appropriate time to draw it out, why? Mm. Why did God allow the things to happen in the way that they did. You know, it's, it's interesting to me to think, why didn't God give them different foods? Yeah. Why didn't he give them, you know, why, why did, why didn't, why didn't he let them go thirsty? Why did he not have wells dug every 10 feet for them? You know, what, why? That's the question that we all ask yeah. when we're in the midst of our things. And I think the answer when you, when you stop and think about it is God could look ahead and he could see that there were things that they were going to have to overcome and that they would need to learn to develop their trust in him. That's a great um, point but, about him being able to make a variety of food and putting wells everywhere, but choosing not to for their benefit. Absolutely. And we don't see it that way. We as as humankind are extremely limited in the way that we think. And uh, like we've said other times, it, it, we're, we're self-serving in a lot of ways and, and selfish with our thinking. So when we don't get what we want, it's like, well, come on now. <laughs> God, <laughs> don't you know that uh, I am your master? When I pray to you, you're supposed to give me things. <laughs> That's the way that we think sometimes. It, it is. Really is. It is. <laughs> now, uh, you have Luke chapter 9, verse 62. Can you read that and, and maybe explain a connection there? Sure. Uh, Luke 9.62 says, Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And I think that's kind of what mm -hmm. these Israelites were doing. They had been freed from slavery, and their only desire was to get right back into slavery. I mean, it was not a good situation they were in. They were being beaten at the end because they weren't making bricks fast enough because they haven't been given a straw anymore. And that's right. that's what they wanted to go back to, really. And again, like you said, over cucumbers, over, over garlic, <laughs> it's a ridiculous notion. But this is how our minds work. This is how the devil tricks us. He, he gets us focused on ourselves and, yeah. and what we are missing out on or what we might have had before we turned our lives over to Christ. And we follow the same path sometimes if we're not careful. You know, in the New Testament, um, I'm, I'm thinking about how, 
a lot of Christians obviously had the mindset that, uh, a very carnal mindset, that in Christ, grace covers so completely that you can live an idolatrous or ungodly lifestyle and, you know, grace will just be magnified, which is one of Paul's main um, things that he has to correct in the book of Romans is, should we go on sinning that grace would abound? Certainly not. Uh, but I'm, I'd like to share this verse, if I can, from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. And it lists a, a, a group of, of different types of sinners. And it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But I, you know, verse 11 is probably one of my favorite verses. It says, but such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And you can connect that with other scriptures in the New Testament to say these were the ways you used to live. You've been washed. You've come out of it. And now you live for God and you don't walk in those ways anymore. Like in Ephesians chapter 4, you don't walk in the old, you walk in the new. And I, I just wanted to share that. Maybe this is my soapbox moment for the lesson. But uh, I, want, I wanted to make the point that, you know, when Jesus says to put our hands on the plow, we don't look back, meaning I'm not going to return to the life of if I was in a, uh, sexually immoral, if I was addicted to drugs or alcohol, if I was a liar or a murmurer, you know, any sort of sin, I give that up in pursuit of Christ and I don't use Christ as an excuse to get to continue living that way. If, is there any connection there? Am I off the mark or am I on the mark with relation to the Israelites? You're right on. And I think that scripture is fantastic. And anytime you, you want a soapbox, you go for it and you, you do a good job. <laughs> <of it>, so. <laughs> no, that's, that's an appreciated thought really. And we, we, I appreciate the passage you brought out because first of all, it does point to the existence of those elements those wicked, wicked things in the lives of these Christian people and re yeah. reminds us we can't have a, a history and a past that we come out of, but the key is coming out of it and not looking back to it with any sort of favor. Uh, you know, I sometimes I get in conversations with people where they talk about their past and it's almost like they're reliving some glory day. And it's, it's sad to me to see that that's what, appeals to them that's what they long for again in their life and right. i think there's a, right. a a great comparison that can be made right here with what is being talked about with regard to their complaining about being in slavery again it's very similar mm -hmm. sin is enslavement so when we when we look back at our our past and we think fondly of the the nasty things that we were involved in i don't think god's happy with that I don't think that's something that we should let our minds dwell on. Amen. I'm going to read one more and then uh, sum up your point so far. Galatians 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So you know, there's so much encouragement in the New Testament that the freedom that comes in Christ is not autonomy. It's it's It's... You're, you're free in the sense that you have been redeemed, but that doesn't make you autonomous so that you can do whatever you want. It's set you free so that you can now live a life of service to God. And uh, you can't 
use it as an opportunity oh, to reflect. I'd like to, I'd like to sum up your point so far. Um, it's these these Israelites had come out of Egypt and they'd started murmuring. Uh, first, they murmured concerning the way, and they have murmured concerning the food. And uh, so, you're about to move on to our third point. What? What's left to murmur about the way the food? The, <laughs> well, it seems like there's a lot, right? It, yeah, and uh, I think that in their progression, uh, you can see that the the temptation to complain never waned, but also the tests became stronger. Uh-huh. And that's an interesting thing to notice in this too. And they, they complained about their way, the direction that they were going. Then they complained, all we've had to eat is this food, which that seems to me like a progression. It seems like an increase. Right. But then they get to the land, they spy out the land and they said, Oh no, this place has giants. <laughs> and you know, when we put ourselves again in the shoes of these people, these were not warriors. Right. They were not battle-tested men. They they had come from making brick and straw and doing Egyptian chores and having been freed and getting to make decisions for themselves was all new. So when they get to this land and God says, okay, go in and fight, uh, yeah, the, the giants would have been a major obstacle. And I think that thinking about these kind of things, this was Numbers 13, 33 uh, through chapter 14, verse 10, which we won't read because we know generally what's being said there. But uh, I think that as God led them through the challenges, you know, not putting water every 10 feet, not uh, um, helping them with uh, making the, the journey simple, but presenting challenges and presenting to them in each and every challenge, listen, rely on me, trust in me, and all will be well. I think those were a preparation yeah. for them. And when they got to the land and they saw the giants, it should have been natural for them to say, hey, God has helped us this far. Uh-huh. He's going to do it again. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that's exactly what Joshua and Caleb were saying. God has helped us thus far. He, he's going to help us. He'll He'll take care of all this. And giants you know, in, in that land and in that day who have been trained from youth to be warriors in battle, that's what Goliath was. Right. That would be a major obstacle to just a, an everyday farmer Joe, right? I I want to I want to interject before you move on because I'm just like a little kid in a candy shop right now. Um, <laughs> your comments on them not being trained warriors, uh, it's exploding within me some observations about them. So they wouldn't have had like a blacksmith, right? Because you're on the move and you can't have a forge. And while they would have plundered the Egyptians, you know, and so I'm, I'm assuming they probably got some metal and some swords or spears or whatever. Uh, these are, like you said, they're bricklayers and, and farmers and shepherds who are going to be going against guys wearing, you know, bronze and leather with swords and spears. They're going to be going at them with sticks and rocks and whatever sort of instrument they could have made along the way. You know what I think about though? I think this may this may not make the podcast, but uh, <laughs> I think about an ant hill whenever like a big old cockroach or a spider or a uh, you know some insect that's just massively larger than them. But you know the ants don't run away. In fact, they usually win just by numbers. They're able to kind of consume and overtake this giant insect, yeah. and so the faith that they could have and should have had, 
God has already parted the Red Sea and destroyed a chariot army that was chasing them. God has already shown that fire can come down from heaven whenever he consumes some of those who were complaining. God has miraculously made food. Surely God can use this stick that I'm holding to beat down an armored giant. Yeah. So it's just, it's a... Uh, it's amazing that they came in. They, you know, they didn't have any siege weapons, and, so, and they're going to go to Jericho, a city with walls, and and somehow overtake it. I'm I'm kind of fanboying out right now, only because I like the history of battle and stuff like that. It would be really cool to see sticks overcome shields of bronze. <sighs> Absolutely, and you're you're right about it, all the things that you said too. It's it's not like uh, they had anything in and of themselves to trust in. You know, going into those battles, it would have been a, a very intimidating thing. And, you know, it reminds me of uh, of other stories from the Old Testament. You know, the I don't, I don't remember all the details, but it's in one of the Joshua battles, I think, where uh, they had a certain amount of men that they were wanting to whittle down. And God kept telling them, you've got too many, you've got too many. And they eventually started taking either those that lapped the water a certain way or... Oh, right, right. Gideon <laughs> yeah. in the book Gideon, of Judges. there yeah. you go. And they whittled the army down to nearly nothing. And it, it, the point behind that was to show the children of Israel that your battles aren't won on your own. God's fighting for you. And that's really the element that I want to grab onto. Uh-huh. Spiritual giants stand in our way today, too, and making this modern application, I think, is important for us. Okay. When you think about the, the spiritual giants that get in our way, the things that, that keep us from preaching the gospel when we know we should, or standing up for the truth when we know we should, uh, doing good works, putting sin in our lives, the question is, do you fear your giants? Mm. Do you complain about your giants and make excuse to not do what you know you need to do as a Christian? There are giants in our life, and you know they stand in our way, and people let giants just exist, and they they use those things as an excuse. Things like, well, I, I don't have enough knowledge to share the word with uh -huh. my schoolmates. That's why I don't say anything. Uh, I've heard that one a lot. We we all have, and sometimes in our own lives, sadly, we've used the same excuses. Yeah. Well, this yeah. this guy looks really studied. I probably should study a little more before I go in and talk to him. Right. What's wrong with saying, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll research and I'll find it. <laughs> you know, the, the, the answer is there. We, we shouldn't be afraid to confront those spiritual giants because we have everything we need in the word. The word uh -huh. is not mistakenly mentioned as our sword. That's, that's our weapon. <laughs> so right. when we go to do battle, uh, we don't have to have those fears, uh, and we have to understand that God has prepared us and presented us with everything we need in the scriptures, and it's not about defending uh, a way of mindset that your family lived for. It's about defending what the Bible says, and there are some times when you even have to change your own mind about the way you think because the Bible mm -hmm. presents something different than mm -hmm. what you thought. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of those giants, and don't let them stand in your way. Don't use excuses, and don't complain when those things present themselves. One of the biggest spiritual giants, you've kind of alluded to it, is the giant of assumption. Ah. Assumption in others, assumption in the lack of ability in self. The, the giant of assumption is a lack of faith. 
And uh, man, what a giant it is. And I'm, I'm not saying this like I've overcome it completely and I'll just tell you all how to do it. I still struggle with the giant of assumption. I'm, I'm always painting whatever is in the way I'm assuming, you know, and a lot of times whenever I have to face it or I have to face a person, I really had built up something in my mind a lot bigger than it really was. Yeah. And I think that's something that we all can relate to and, str- and struggle with from time to time. Uh, but we really need to learn, I think, to turn I can't into I can, because that's what the Bible teaches. Philippians 4, 13, I can mm-hmm. do all things through Christ the strength. That's right. It's, that's right. There's no, there's no I can't in the scriptures. It, 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 with, with Jesus's help, you can. It's also uh, important to remember that when we make the decision, I can, and we move forward, that God's not going to let us. Right, right. Flounder out there on our own. First Corinthians three, uh, that passage. First Corinthians three and nine. You know, it, it teaches the idea that God doesn't just strengthen us, but He counts us a fellow worker. And when we recognize we are God's plan, we are it for delivering the message unto the nations. Uh, it, it should put this this <laughs> this good pressure on us to want to be more and to do more for his work and for his word. Uh, and knowing that he is a co-laborer with us, that he's right out there uh, with us every step of the way, holding our hand, if you will, yeah. is, it should be such a comfort. Amen. Uh, allow, allow us to get through this spiritual giant that stands in our path. If I could beg the patience of everyone for just one more spiritual giant. Uh, yeah. I'm loving this conversation, by the way. Um, <laughs> Me too. I've, I've heard it and I have felt it and I have thought it. My congregation's too small. You know, oh, the, yeah. the, the mega church down the road that has 10,000 members and they're so polished, like they're, the way that their pastor says this or the way that their, their groups are organized, all of the activities that they do. And my congregation, like, what, how can we compete? You know, our congregation's too small. That's a, a spiritual giant. I'd love to hear your thoughts, maybe specifically on that. Um, I know it's not in, your, in, in the notes, but uh, sure. how do we work with this giant to overcome it? Well, we're going to have to stop right there, breaking up that conversation. Sorry, in the middle of a question, but not sorry, because it was a really long episode, as they usually are, and I like to present them in about a half-hour segments. So come back next week, and you'll hear the exciting conclusion to an excellent conversation about murmuring and how we can apply some of these lessons from people in the Bible so that we won't fall into the same problems that they had when we have issues and struggles and temptations today. Won't you join me next week? Come on back. The episode should be airing on Monday. So until then, you can go to the website and check out all of the downloadable free information that's there. There's a lot of great study workbooks and correspondence courses, there's videos, and you have the whole library of the podcast, too. It's all at www.pureandsimplebible.com. Until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do, too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you. Well, it's